0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, could we soon see a political Armageddon
2: in the U.S. Senate? If Republicans continue to hijack the rules of the chamber to prevent action on something as critical as protecting our democracy, then the Senate will debate and consider changes to the rules honor before january 17th martin luther king jr day
1: i was democratic senate leader chuck schumer on the senate floor this morning saying filibuster rules will be changed in the senate if republicans don't get in line with the efforts of democrats to change election laws we'll talk with mississippi senator roger wicker in just a moment we discussed it briefly yesterday the biden administration will be defending two of their vaccine mandates before the supreme court on friday one of the mandates is on health care workers that work at facilities that receive Medicare or Medicaid funds, which most do. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita has been leading a coalition of state attorneys general who are trying to stop the mandates. He joins me as we look at how the Biden administration is likely to defend their mandates before the court. And speaking of mandates, a victory last night for 35 Navy SEALs facing being drummed out of the Navy for not being vaccinated. A Texas judge issued a temporary injunction against the vaccine mandates. We'll talk with Mike Barry of First Liberty Institute, which is representing the sailors. By the way, what conservative ever thought we could look to the courts as a backstop for constitutional governance? Well, thanks to the record number of constitutionalists appointed and confirmed to the bench under Donald Trump, we have a chance to preserve the republic Of course, the left knows this, and so they are working hard to put activists back onto the courts. Just before Christmas, the Biden administration nominated Nancy Abudu, the director of strategic litigation for the infamous anti-Christian organization Southern Poverty Law Center. We'll talk with the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Chuck Grassley, later here on Washington Watch. Also, FRC's Mary Beth Waddell, Director of Federal Affairs, will give us an in-depth look into Abudu's uh, judicial track record and philosophy. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again invite you to join us in our two-year chronological journey through the Bible. It just started January the 1st, you can, uh, you can catch up with us, frc.org slash Bible. Today's reading, Genesis chapter 6 through 9. And our verse for the day is uh, found in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. That was at the time of Noah. It's interesting. Jesus warned his followers to be ready for his return. He said this, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. That's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Yesterday, in a dear colleague letter, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that the Senate will debate and consider changes to Senate rules on or before January 17th, Martin Luther King Day. He says this is to protect free and fair elections. And what he meant by that, of course, is the Democrats repeated attempts at a federal takeover of elections through legislation such as the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. With me now to talk about what the Democrats are trying to do and how Republicans may stop them is Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi, who serves on the Senate Committee on Rules and Administration. Senator, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you, Tony. It looks like you've got a great show lined up, and I'm honored to be part of it.
1: Well, you're the lead off on the show, so it's going to be a good show today. Let's talk about uh, this threat by Chuck Schumer. It's one he's been making for over a year to change the filibuster rules, meaning that a simple majority can push anything through the Senate, which would make it very much like the House.
2: It it, it was an astonishing letter. It it really was uh, Orwellian newspeak. To read uh, Schumer's letter yesterday, you would think that he is trying to honor the founders of this country by making the Senate just like the House of Representatives, which of course, uh, as we know, it is exactly uh, the opposite of what the founders wanted to do. George Washington explained to Thomas Jefferson, the Senate is where legislation goes to cool like you cool uh, coffee off uh, in, in the saucer. So um, it, it also is, uh, is a total reversal on the part of Senator Schumer. He used to be one of the great defenders of the filibuster as a consensus building, uh, technique that we have that makes us unique. So it, it, it's just amazing what he's willing to do. Um, I hope Senator Manchin, uh, and his statement today made it clear that this is designed to fail, but I know, um, he and Senator Cinema will be under enormous pressure between now and, uh, the 17th of January. So uh, we we need to keep keep up the pressure and uh, keep explaining uh, why this would absolutely change the Senate and change our republic forever.
1: And what is driving this, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Senator Wicker, it's their fear over the fact that the Americans are turning away from their radical agenda and they're afraid they're going to lose elections uh, because you have states... Uh, state after state, going back and fixing loopholes in election laws, making sure we have free and fair elections. And so the only way they see their ability to hold on to power is this far-reaching grab, power grab, is the only way I can define it, over state elections.
2: Uh, No question about it. Listen, we need to make it easy to vote in the United States, and it is easy to vote. We need at the same time, make it hard to cheat, and that's why so many states have enacted a uh, photo ID, and uh, those laws have been upheld by the Justice Department. Uh, some of the things that Senator Schumer would repeal in this legislation have, have actually been ratified by the voters of his own state in the in the November election. That There was a proposal to uh, sort of open up a uh, Uh, absentee uh, voting more than it is now. The voters of New York, a very liberal state, voted that down. And yet this legislation that uh, he's backing, that he would uh, abolish the filibuster because of, uh, would repeal uh, the very decision that his own voters in New York made just just a few weeks ago. So
1: the the process uh, this basically can be done without uh, any Republicans being a party to the change of the rules. Is that correct?
2: Right. Well, it's the nuclear option, and yes, what happens is uh, Senator Schumer would re- uh, appeal the decision of the chair, and and um, fifty senators would would vote to reverse it, and the vice president would come in, and and uh, in that fifty fifty Senate, uh, change longstanding rules that have. Uh, actually served our nation well. You know, Tony, um, during the Trump administration, uh, Republicans and Democrats alike signed a letter saying we need to keep the Senate as it is. We need to keep this uh, consensus-building aspect that makes us unique and makes us to come together. Thirty-five Democrats signed that letter. Now uh, it seems that... uh, that some 33 of them have had a change of heart now that Joe Biden is president. It's it's just, it's breathtaking the way they are contradicting what they said only uh, a few short years ago.
1: And, uh, and, and and by the way, there were, a few years ago, there were Republicans who wanted to change it, not, not necessarily in the Senate, but there were conservatives who wanted to see the rule change. I did not. I was very clear on the record. I did not want to see that filibuster rule change.
2: but this very well, I, think, I think history I think history will will vindicate you on that. Yes, um, the, the, the convenience of, of the hour sometimes makes us frustrated. But let me tell you, a lot of really great legislation has been passed with this consensus building um, mechanism we have. Uh, the, the original Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, Social Security, Medicare, they they have all been done with 60 vote majorities because it took time to come together uh to develop something bipartisan and something that uh, both the center the right and the left could come together on and it, it's a wonderful technique and uh, uh, again I, I'm I'm just astonished at the the foresight of the founders for um for instituting this type of bicameralism oh. it, it be a terrible, terrible thing to toss away.
1: I mean, the reality is we're a divided nation and it's becoming more difficult to reach that consensus. I get that. I understand that. I was frustrated by some of the things that Donald Trump uh, during his presidency was not able to do through the Senate because they didn't have 60 votes. I, I understand that. But that, as you've pointed out, that's what keeps this country together, because if not, it's going to be like a ping pong match. You're going to have a Democrats going to be in power, and they're going to hit the ball. And they're going to do what they want to do. Then the Republicans take
2: over, and they do what
1: they. There's no stability in that.
2: It would make us very much like uh, some of our European uh, socialist allies. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, if this succeeds this month, um, then the next thing you're going to see is Supreme Court packing with 51 yeah. votes. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see statehood for the District of Columbia with 51 votes. Every state that has a right-to-work law that says you don't have to yeah. join a union Here. If, you, uh, if you choose not to, that would be repealed uh, at the sweep of a pen with uh, a 50-50 vote majority and, and a tie-break by the vice president. So there's a lot at stake. And uh, I'm just uh, hoping and praying that Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema will stick to their guns. We had a really strong statement, I think, from Senator Manchin today. It makes me hopeful that, once again, um, uh, we can dodge the bullet on this.
1: I, I, you know what, Senator? I think you're absolutely right, because I think once you, know, once you go down this path and you make an exception for voting rights, you're right. Right to work is on the table. Second Amendment protections is on the table. There's no limit, to what the left will do, because they have so many special interest groups that will be pounding at the door, demanding that uh, Joe Biden and uh, Chuck Schumer take action.
2: Right. And Joe Manchin essentially said that today. He said, once you start slicing the turkey, uh, uh, you have essentially decided to slice up the whole turkey. It's a metaphor perhaps uh, you wouldn't have chosen, but I, I know what he meant.
1: I'm not a turkey. I'll take the ham. Uh, <laughs> but, but- but you, you actually pointed out, we just got a couple minutes left, but you pointed out in a, an op-ed that you wrote during the uh, the Christmas break, actually came out December 31st, kind of the, the priorities that Congress should be looking toward in this new year. And actually, you've listed some of these things that they would be coming after, for instance, defending election laws. That's what's at stake here. They want to do the very opposite of what you say the Congress should be doing.
2: Oh, yeah, Absolutely, and also we, we need to get back to to defending our country you know uh, we voted on a bipartisan basis uh, to give another 25 billion dollars to the defense of this country you have to up the uh, um, Biden defense request by that amount of money we're going to have to pass the appropriation bills to do that here it is now we're three months into the fiscal year we still haven't uh, appropriated money to defend the nation and to give our uh, military members their uh the the um pay increase that they're entitled to so there, yeah there are a lot of things that we need to do and uh and chief among them uh protect the border protect the voting uh, laws and and, uh, and make sure our defense has the capability that our admirals and generals tell us we need
1: senator wicker always great to talk with you thanks so much <laughs> for uh joining us today appreciate it Tom. All right, Senator Roger Wicker of uh, Mississippi. All right, coming up, the Biden administration will be before the Supreme Court on Friday defending two of their mandates. We're going to be joined next by one of the Attorney Generals of the states, uh, uh, Attorney General Todd Ricotta, Ricotta of. Uh,
3: what is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of leadership and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men Who Will Stand Courageous.
0: Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace.
1: Do you exercise? Experts say the best exercise is walking on a consistent basis. Becky and I walk. Well, Becky kind of books it. And when we walk together, I kind of like to stroll. I like to take time to, she says, smell the roses, if you know what I mean. Listen to Psalm 86, verse 11.
4: Teach me your way, O Lord, and I
1: will walk in your truth. The most productive spiritual exercise for you personally and certainly for your family is to daily walk in and through God's Word. We
5: should take time when we read the Bible to absorb all that God wants us to learn. While you are reading with your family, take time to ask them to share what God is saying from what you are reading. Don't book it through the scriptures, but stroll along so that God has time to speak his
4: truth to you. Amen.
0: Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
3: Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about, about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us, that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister.
5: There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture.
2: Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, with America seeing a record number of cases of this uh, latest variant of COVID, the hospital worker shortage in many parts of the country is becoming more severe. And the growing concern over the shortages is leading some hospitals to tell their employees that they can work even if they have tested positive for COVID amid a staffing crisis. Well, given the latest COVID surge and the fact that the Omicron variant can spread to both the vaccinated and unvaccinated, how might the Biden administration defend its case for forcing federally funded health care facilities to fire unvaccinated workers when the Supreme Court hears the oral arguments on this mandate coming, uh, coming up this Friday? With me now to talk about this is one of the several state attorneys general, who are defending healthcare workers in the court? Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. General, welcome back to the program.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. Happy New Year.
1: Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well, and I hope it uh, it's off with a bang uh, when you go to the court on Friday. I, I hope and pray you're successful. The uh, the. In the filings of the Biden administration, they're now saying, well, this isn't a mandate. We're not mandating this. Uh, is that going to hold up before the court? I don't see how it can. Uh,
6: we'll, we'll be prepared for court on Friday, you know, myself and our staff, my staff and, uh, the, and other like-minded attorneys general and their staffs. And no, we don't see how this is anything but a mandate. When you say to a health care provider, employer, like we're going to hold your Medicare and Medicaid funding unless your employees are vaccinated, that's like sticking a gun to a hospital or any healthcare provider's head. Uh, because, and this is a whole separate segment of your show sometime. Tony, I mean, the, the, they are so beholden to federal dollars, and so the Biden administration knows this, and they're they're using this latest variant and 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 some of the numbers, whether they're true or not, uh, to uh to, to to tell the court, hey, we need a decision sooner rather than later. And to that I say so be it. So we get a decision a decision sooner rather than later. We're prepared, we prepared to 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 uphold the individual rights of of healthcare workers to decide for themselves with their doctors what's best for them while they responsibly take care of patients.
1: Yeah, you're there's there's two cases before the court. You're focused on the one dealing with the healthcare workers. I would think that would be the it'd be a slam dunk in my view, because one of the arguments that the Biden administration is using to force these mandates is they want to keep Americans healthy, safe. They want to keep them from dying. Well, how do you do that when you're forcing healthcare workers out of business? You're firing them because they won't submit to your vaccine mandate. I mean, that's actually making our healthcare system, uh, putting it into a crisis.
6: Absolutely, especially during this time, we need all hands on deck. You know, a year ago we were heralding our healthcare workers as heroes, uh, and and they still need to be upheld upheld in, in that in that vein. And if you're, how do you tell a hero that you're not responsible enough or you don't know enough to make your own healthcare decisions? You know, it's ridiculous. The fact of the matter is that <clears throat> you know every you know decision to vaccinate or not shouldn't be government's at all. It should be between you uh your doctor uh and and god himself you know uh, that that should be where your decision points uh to this the the decision point lies not in the federal government
1: Uh, general just so people have an understand a a kind of a reference point you know they talk about medicare medicaid facilities they want you know i'm not on medicare i don't get medicaid uh it's not going to affect me but that's not true uh, this is far-reaching, and the implications this has for doctors' offices, hospitals, right. uh, that right. will be impacted by this.
6: Yeah, yeah, and that goes right back to what I was saying earlier, where you know that maybe it's a whole separate discussion. Sometimes it should be these healthcare providers, these hospitals, these doctors' offices, these clinics, everyone really in the system. Even though I maintain we have. Uh, the best system in the world. It's certainly far, far from perfect. And one of the reasons it's far, far from perfect is because there's so much bureaucracy and federal dollars put into the system. So when you come out as the Biden administration and say, you know what, Um, if, if you take federal dollars, right? If you take Medicaid or Medicare money and you're a healthcare provider and you don't have all your employees vaccinated, you're gonna lose those federal dollars. You will immediately... Uh, and, and very negatively impact uh, the, the the business model, if you will, the working the, the ability for these hospitals to even stay open if they don't get these uh, federal uh, dollars, right. and that's the last thing you want
1: right now. Right, but it's also doctors' offices that uh, take patients who are Medicare yeah, and- or Medicaid patients, yeah. and. They could lose their doctors uh, because if an, yeah. if, a, if a if a doctor says I'm not going to do this, well, then that that patient has to go someplace yeah. else.
6: Yeah. So the, what I just also what I just said, you know, it's the, the decision to get vaccines between you and your doctor. Well, you know, the, if this right. keeps going, like this you won't have anybody but Joe Biden to go to for advice, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you should get a shot or anything else.
1: Yeah, and well, I hope I don't get sick. Uh, look, you made references about the numbers, and and uh, you were recently criticized by by your governor, actually, saying that you don't believe the numbers anymore. And frankly, let me just say, disclaimer: I'm with you. But but what what? How do you defend that against uh, those that say? How how do you claim you don't believe the numbers? Well, it's quite
6: simple. I mean, look how many times they've been revised uh, all over place after they've been after they've been put out. Uh, and you know, it's not just about, it's not even about my state department of health. I'm, I'm assuming that they simply get numbers from healthcare providers. I'm assuming they can add them up correctly and I'm assuming they can pass them on uh, to the CDC, but it's, you know, it's that old data, uh, uh, provision where they, they say garbage in garbage out. And if you don't know if there's no standardized criteria for how these numbers are created in the first place by healthcare providers, you can't hope to aggregate these numbers and report them on a national basis uh, correctly and accurately. It's just, and and there is not, there's there's not a nationalized or standardized way, standardized criteria for uh, determining whether someone died of COVID or whether someone died with COVID. Right, uh, but was right. really killed, or we get killed, or injured, or, or whatever by some by something else, some intervening cause. Right. And so, this is common sense. You don't need me as an attorney general to tell you this. This is
1: just oh, well. We, we, we do we do need some we need somebody to tell those folks that are counting to use common sense because somebody's not. Uh, yeah. General Rakita, always great to talk with you. Uh, best to you on Friday as you uh, defend those healthcare workers. Thank you sir, very much. We'll we'll get the job done. All right. Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rikita. All right. Coming up next, some Navy SEALs. Good news for them. Don't go away.
7: Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio.
4: Another interesting note that uh, will be remembered here is Apple becomes the first company to ever reach $3 trillion in market cap. That is an amazing story. I remember like it was yesterday when Apple hit $1. Trillion dollars. It wasn't all that long ago. So it seems as though technology kind of drove the day, but some are saying they're a little concerned. As a matter of fact, I saw a headline that said the markets and the economy brace for the Federal Reserve's first rate hike that could come in the next two months. I'm not sure what that means. Obviously, nobody trading knows what that means. If they're bracing themselves for a 25 basis points rate hike and they are concerned, then we've got far bigger problems in the markets and in the economy than anybody realizes. But it's obvious that the markets didn't have any focus On a 25 basis points, a quarter of 1% rate hike. As a matter of fact, I think in the long run, after the first knee-jerk reaction, it's going to be a good thing for markets and the economy just to get a little bit of a lift in the U.S. dollar's value after this inflation continues and will likely continue all year beating the dollar up. We do have some economic data coming out this week, and we'll uh, give you an update on that. Later in the week, we'll see how things go from here in a very muted, kind of an average volume market.
7: Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and the website is tonyperkins.com. All right. Yesterday, a federal judge issued a preliminary injunction barring the U.S. Department of Defense from punishing a group of Navy service members who have religious objections to the Pentagon's vaccine mandate. In the court order, Judge Reed O'Connor of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas pointed out that the Navy's religious accommodation process is, quote, by all accounts, theater. End quote. Noting that the Navy has not granted a single religious exemption to any vaccine in recent memory. Joining me now to talk about this victory uh, from uh, the courts over the vaccine mandate is Mike Berry, general counsel for First Liberty Institute, whose legal group is representing the Navy sailors. Mike, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's great to be back with you. Congratulations. Uh, I know it's a temporary injunction, but it is a significant one. Uh, It is significant. You know, this is the first major
8: victory, uh, at least on behalf of service members, against the vaccine mandate. Uh, I think this is going to send a clear message around the nation that there is a way to challenge the vaccine mandate, especially for people of faith. So our hope is that even though this injunction applies only to our clients right now, uh, this is a blueprint for how to proceed with other lawsuits or other challenges to the vaccine mandate, again, by, by people of faith serving in uniform, and, and perhaps even beyond.
1: So uh, kind of walk us through the process. I mean, this is temporary. Uh, it'll be uh, litigated. It would go to the Fifth Circuit, if I'm not mistaken, if it's appealed? Yeah, that's correct. You know, The ball
8: is squarely in the Navy's court. They, they have to decide whether they're going to appeal this or not. If they do decide to appeal, It'll go to the Fifth Circuit, uh, but I think Judge O'Connor's ruling is 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 you know pretty comprehensive and thorough. Uh, it's a 26-page preliminary injunction uh, decision, and it lays out really the you know all the arguments necessary to to show that exactly as you as you highlighted at the beginning, Tony, that everything that the Navy has done and really the Department of Defense has done so far has been theater. It doesn't matter what kind of window dressing you put on the process. If we know, and we all know, that this is a predetermined outcome—that every single religious accommodation request submitted was going to be denied before it was even submitted—then uh, then it's really a sham process, and that's no way to run a country or to run a military.
1: Now I mentioned these were thirty-five uh, sailors; these are Navy SEALs; these are uh, these are kind of the elite fighters there in the uh, the Navy, which you and I, as Marines, have a great appreciation for. Any other highlights in the, the the judge's ruling that that are significant? Yes, absolutely. I mean
8: and and you know, first of all, the decision is available at firstliberty.org for anybody who wants to read it. It's a very powerful decision. And like I said, it, it goes through and explains in detail exactly why the uh, what the navy and what the dod is doing is wrong and violates the constitution and violates the religious freedom restoration act and i think one of the most important pieces of it tony is when uh the ruling says that the dod vaccine mandate uh when there is no provision for religious accommodations that that violates the religious freedom restoration act and it violates the first amendment and the government does not have a compelling interest There is no compelling interest in forcing people to violate their conscience and violate violate their religious freedom and get a vaccine that that, uh, they have a religious objection to. The government is not able to carry its burden of showing that it has a compelling interest. For months now, we've heard the Pentagon say over and over again that, oh, well, we have to have everybody vaccinated. This is a matter of national security, so on and so forth. Well, this ruling severely undercuts that argument and says If it's really such a matter of national security, you wouldn't be kicking people out. You would want every available person in the fight. And that's exactly what these Navy SEALs should be doing. They should be fighting for our freedom, fighting to defend our nation and our interests. Instead, they're fighting for their
1: careers. You know, I, I, I know you're a lawyer, not a doctor, but does it the fact that the Omicron variant, the fact that it can spread to vaccinated and unvaccinated, make an even stronger case for how unnecessary these vaccine mandates are for young, healthy individuals such as uh, those in our military?
8: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, the The Department of Defense continues to create a moving target for why people have to get vaccinated, why service members have to get vaccinated. You know, in the early days, we were told it's to prevent infection and prevent transmission. Well, now, of course, we just as you said, we now know that the fully vaccinated and fully boosted can also uh, both contract and transmit the virus. So that's no longer their argument. Now they're saying, well, we need it in order to prevent uh, serious injury or death, right? And so uh, th- it continues to be a moving target They continue to allow medical and administrative exemptions. uh, And at least until yesterday's ruling, they were not granting any religious exemptions. So uh, uh, to me, I mean, the word theater is really a great way to describe exactly what it is. It's all political theater. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, I think this is all a really a political agenda that's being foisted upon our service members. I think that's a terrible thing for America. It's a terrible thing for freedom. It really harms our national security, and it causes the American people to lose trust and confidence in the Department of Defense and its ability to carry out its mission. When you when you start to believe that your military is nothing more than a mercenary force of people who are just gonna be, receive a paycheck and do whatever they're told, that that's, uh, that's not freedom, that's not America. Right. That's what you might expect to see in North Korea or China, but not here. Yeah,
1: that is scary. Um, Mike Berry, as always, great to talk with you. And uh, again, congratulations. for A job well done to you and to First Liberty Institute. Thanks, Tony. It was a great day for religious freedom, for sure. All right, we're going to continue to track it. And folks, I hope you'll stick with us on that. Coming up next, we're going to talk about some of Joe Biden's nominations to the court. They're on the other side of the spectrum. Liberal. Very liberal. actually.
6: For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration
4: and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans.
0: He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses.
6: The God Who Speaks is a feature-linked documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org.
0: What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within
2: it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more
0: perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit engagemagazine.net.
1: Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Imagine a giant... Dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and a, there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up and they push up against that dam. And they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture, we're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse but we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual
2: silos and wait for the end to come.
4: A reminder from American Family Radio.
1: Hi, welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Just before the Christmas break, President uh, Joe Biden nominated to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals a political activist, Nancy Abudu, who works as the director for strategic litigation at the Anti-Christian Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, in response, Family Research Council and a coalition of more than 50 individuals and organizations sent a letter yesterday to the chairman and ranking member, of the Senate Judiciary Committee in opposition to the nominee. Here with me now to give us the latest on this nomination is Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, who is the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tony. Thank you very
7: much. And you uh, said the word Southern Poverty Law Center. Do You know, you probably know that that organization said you were head of a terrorist organization which maybe speaks to the point about why somebody like Nancy Abudu should not be on the 11th Circuit Court.
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, they have made a history of targeting conservatives and more of a pit bull for the left than they are an um, arbiter of who is uh, in bounds or who can play and who cannot in the political arena. And the fact that uh, she worked or works for them Uh, clearly shows that she has an agenda. She's an advocate. Is this the type of individuals we need on the court? Can we trust them to be fair in their decisions? Uh, I would think
7: that we would want, and I want, on the court, a person who is going to interpret law the way Congress intended it it to be written and the Constitution according to uh, original intent in other words what the constitution writers intended in the constitution that's the narrow boundaries with what your judge should do but when somebody like nancy abu uh, gets on the court uh, you you kind of figure they have an agenda and uh, we can't ever get this information out of them but uh, what is their judicial philosophy they don't want to tell us you know we're kind of interested are they strict constructionists or do they believe in uh, what we call an evolving Constitution. And if they're for the latter, then that gives a chance for them to put their personal views uh, into uh, making a decision. And that isn't what we should be doing. Uh, Courts are supposed to interpret law according to uh, what Congress intended when we pass it, not put their own personal views into it. And the same way with the Constitution, according to the origin originators of the constitution if you want to change the constitution you don't uh, have judge supreme court judges change it uh, you amend the constitution
1: well i think we're seeing a trend here more than 92% of uh, joe biden's court picks got a no vote from more than 25% of senators now that compares to only 18.2% of the same at the same point in former president obama's tenure Now, this is according to the Heritage Foundation's Judicial Appointments Tracker. Are are we seeing more radical uh, extremists being nominated under the Biden administration than we did Obama?
7: Well, that's what we think, and that's why uh, most Republicans have opposed most of these uh, nominees. Uh, and, uh, And I suppose it's going to be a few years down the road until we know for sure. But when you can't get them to tell you what their judicial philosophy is, uh, whether they're for an uh, emerging co- constitution, an evolving constitution or not, uh, you really don't know. When you get done with five minutes of questioning or if you want to go a second round, 10 minutes of questioning, uh, but uh, you, you, you can't seem to get much more information out of them. Another issue here, though, isn't just the issue you brought up with not only Nancy Abudu, but with a lot of other uh, judges that this president has nominated, you find that they come from a very narrow area of the law, either a criminal defense or liberal advocacy. And I guess you'd put Nancy in this latter category. Uh, And uh, as opposed to you want want to judge There's nothing wrong with being a defense attorney. I don't want to say I wouldn't say that, or even if you're a liberal advocate. But if that's as narrow as you had experience in the law before you go on the courts, I think we ought to have a broader background than just that uh, for people being uh, getting a lifetime appointment.
1: Uh, Absolutely, and. The reason this one is drawing more attention than most, I mean, you've got three levels. You've got district court levels, which oftentimes are just, uh, you know, those are just kind of pushed through. Nobody pays a whole lot of attention to a district court judge. I mean, uh, relatively speaking, you get to the appellate court. Obviously, that's more significant because there is where court cases get bumped up to the highest court which is the supreme court now nancy abudu she is an appellate court this is one i would think that the the republicans should be paying very close attention to well not
7: only with nancy abudu but uh we've we've ran into this with almost every nominee to a circuit court uh and that's why most republicans have opposed most of these nominees uh to particularly the circuit court and uh and uh, in fact this level of judiciary is so great uh that out of uh cases that the supreme court is asked to take they generally only make decisions on 70 to 80 in the course of a year so that may be uh, you know one or two percent of all the cases they're asked to take so in the other 98 percent of the cases the Circuit Court of Appeals is the final determinant of what the law is or what the Constitution is.
1: Yeah, and uh, I don't think people realize the difference in those, and that's why these, I think, deserve greater scrutiny. So let me ask you, Senator Grassley, what's the line for you when you are looking at these judicial nominees, when you say, I can't vote for this one? What, what's that line for you?
7: Uh, I think I've probably said this three times now, but not in the same context of your question. I'm looking for somebody that's uh, going to interpret the Constitution according to original intent. I'm looking for somebody that's going to uh, determine the the constitutionality of state, uh, of uh, uh, statute, according to the intent of the legislative body that wrote it. Uh, I want them to leave their own personal views out in addition in a more general way i would say you want somebody that's got good broad uh, legal background not necessarily having to graduate from harvard or yale uh, although that's where most of the supreme court nominees have come from but uh, uh, the point is that you want people to have strong uh, knowledge of the law but the most important thing is what we call judicial temperament Uh, which is to leave their own personal views out of it,
1: out of any decision they make. To me, that sounds exactly what the Senate should be doing when they look at a judicial nominee, is that, number one, the Constitution is at the top because that's the agreement by which we all agree to be governed. And if they will not abide by the Constitution or if they see it as this living, breathing document that can change at any moment, uh, to me, that spells trouble.
7: I think that uh, Democrats feel that judges ought to be politicians, and the only difference is they got a robot.
1: And they get lifetime appointments. And lifetime appointments, yes. They don't
7: have to stand for election like those of us in the United States Senate or House of Representatives.
1: That's right. Senator, always great to to talk with you. We're going to be tracking this one very, very closely, because I think this is a dangerous nomination.
7: It is. And... uh, uh, you know, I uh, want to thank uh, y- y- your organization, the Family Research Council, because you helped me so much in 2015 and 16 when we were holding up the nomination of Judge Garland. I was chairman of the committee at that time, and you helped us fight that battle. I got through a very tough reelection at that particular time, but we were able to get Gorsuch, a cons- constitutional conservative. Uh, on the Supreme Court as a result of of your support of our efforts to not move ahead with uh, Judge Garland that that, uh, uh, Obama uh, thought should be on the Supreme Court.
1: Always glad to help to defend the Constitution and uh, preserve the Republic. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, Senator, good to talk with you. Have a great day. Senator Chuck Grassley of uh, Iowa Ranking, member on the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. All right, joining me now to dive further into the radical activism uh, that marks Nancy Abudu, is uh, our own Mary Beth Waddell, Director of uh, Federal Affairs for the Family Research Council here uh, with me. I think, uh, do we have, there you are. Mary Beth, welcome back.
5: Glad to be here, Tony. Thanks for having me. All
1: right, uh, you heard my conversation with uh, Senator Grassley. Uh, he obviously is concerned about it. This is a more significant nomination because it is not a district-level judge, although I would say those are important, too. This is an appellate level, uh, as he pointed out. These are ones who, quite frankly, their decisions sometimes stand when the Supreme Court does not take up a case. So let's go a little bit into uh, to her background. Mentioning that she works with the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, which is an anti-Christian organization that has attacked us and other Christian organizations. What has been her role there?
5: She is the strategic uh, legislative or legal director, and most of her work has been in uh, the place of voting rights. Um, She's a big proponent of preclearance, which is this idea that has been... Uh, deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, which would be interesting to see her on a court, given that she supports this idea. And it, this idea of pre-clearance would require certain states to get approval from the Department of Justice before they can change their election laws. You know, we just saw this uh, in Georgia with the law that they passed for election integrity. Um, and she's made all of these various comments about... Um, things that she deems as uh, voter intimidation and voter uh, suppression, such as making sure that you're a citizen of the United States, making sure that you are who you say you are. Um, And these should be ideas that we all uh, should support. We should understand that our elections are so important that we should make sure only legal... Uh, voters are voting and that they're only voting once so that we have uh, election integrity uh, in this country. And that's been the majority of what she has been doing at the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center.
1: You know, what is really, um, I'd say, interesting uh, about the Southern Poverty Law Center is that you just described here, they have policy positions. They advocate mm-hmm. for policy. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, this, that's how our system works. You have people who advocate for, you know, leftist policies, which they do. You have organizations like ours that uh, advocate for constitutional-based conservative policies, and so that's that's how the system works. But the difference here with the Southern Poverty Law Center is that they not only want to be an advocate for policy, but they want to demonize their opponents in labeling them hate groups, terrorist organizations. Um, so h- how can you do both? I mean, they've even gone after Ben Carson, uh, they attacked Ben Carson, so there, there's no no limit to the to the number of conservatives that they've attacked.
5: Absolutely, there's not. They have profiteered off of this idea of labeling their political enemies and those who have differing opinions from them. And you know, as you mentioned, they uh, went after Dr. Ben Carson. You know, labeling him an extremist, and he's one of the sweetest, most soft-spoken individuals. Um, that there is, you know, and they went after Majid Nawaz and ended up having to pay uh, more than $3 million to him. You know, they have been tied to domestic uh, terrorism in the United States because of what happened at FRC. They're the ones who uh, instigated the uh, attack that was perpetrated against FRC that fortunately um, our wonderful Leo Johnson was able to prevent uh, back in 2012 But the SPLC is the one that, you know, instigated that whole thing. That's where the information was found, uh, lying about us and our position uh, to get this man to try and come attack us. You know, they, uh, it's what they do. Uh,
1: Very quickly, the 11th Circuit Court has jurisdiction over Alabama, Florida, and Georgia, Alabama being the home of the Southern Poverty Law Center. What are the dangers of having an activist like, uh, Um, Nancy Abadou, deciding cases on the the U.S. Circuit Court?
5: It's extremely dangerous. You know, as we've already discussed, most of the decisions she would be making would be the end of it. You know, there are very few, if any, would actually be taken to the Supreme Court. You know, so you would have this activist who has worked for this uh, organization um, that's been so discredited and all of these things being a final arbiter of these decisions. And particularly as it relates to the voting rights issues, you know, as I mentioned, you had Georgia that implemented election integrity laws that she would uh, try to strike down. And if she's the one who has the final say in that, um, you could see a greater election fraud in certain places if these laws to institute integrity are not allowed to stand.
1: So Mary Beth what what are some action steps that our viewers and listeners can take?
5: They can go to frcaction.org slash judge to let their senators know that they oppose Nancy Abudu Let them know let them know now um, her hearing could be within the next few weeks so we want to start beating the drum now um, to to get the word out there.
1: All right Mary Beth Waddell thanks so much for joining us. Uh, great work on this.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, folks, and I want to encourage you to do just that. Take action and uh, contact your two senators and encourage them to oppose Nancy Abudu to this uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Look, our republic, as I said, is not for spectators. It is for participants. You must be involved. Go to FRC Action. Uh, or just go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found the Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.